0: Good to see everybody today. Uh, this is Memorial Day weekend, and uh, we can look around and and, uh, and see that uh, several are in, enjoying that uh, that holiday that we have. Um, I was talking with Nikki a little bit earlier this week. I was speaking with some gentlemen a little bit earlier today about this as well. Uh, i you know, I, I think sometimes we take for granted uh, what this this holiday is all about, and and uh, you know what this is uh, for. And some, some I believe, probably just look at it as a three-day weekend, you know, just a a longer weekend to to spend time with their families. But um, I believe this day is is a time for us to uh, remember those uh, those soldiers who have given their lives for our freedom and, of course, to thank those who have uh, been willing to give their lives uh, in the present as well. And I want to ask, if you have served in our nation's military, past or present, uh, if you would just please stand, we'd appreciate you being recognized this morning. All right, and uh, we uh, we thank you for your service. Yes, uh, thank you all for your service, and, and uh, we definitely appreciate you and and uh, your willingness to serve our country. I want to ask you to turn your Bibles with me this morning to Matthew chapter five. <clears throat> Matthew chapter five, we're looking at verses thirty-seven through thirty. No, we're not. We're looking at verse 27 through 30. Matthew chapter 5, verse 27 is where you need to turn. The thing about preaching through a book of the Bible or preaching expositorily is that as you go verse by verse, uh, you don't get to skip over things. You, you You either just completely forget about it and skip over it, or you preach on through it, and... And, uh, you know, that's, I guess that's another one of the, the good things that as I do preach expositorily is that if you get upset with me about a message, all I have to say is, look, I didn't write it. I'm just preaching it, okay? And, uh, and so uh, this is definitely one of those cases today. There are a couple that are uncomfortable as we go through the Sermon on the Mount. Matter of fact, we haven't found a whole lot of comfortable things uh, in the Sermon on the Mount so far. Hopefully, as the years go by and as we increase our, uh, our relationship with God and and see ourselves drawing closer to him. Maybe we'll find uh, more comfortable things in this message, but uh, many Christians today, I believe, as they take a, a very uh, true approach, uh, a right approach to these verses, to the teachings of Christ here, uh, we find ourselves being uh, chastised uh, each week, and there are definitely things that and places that God has been correcting me and showing uh, needs for correction.
1: Uh, this last
0: week, we... We dealt with anger and that's definitely an issue that many deal with in the weeks to come. We're going to deal with divorce and marriage and we're going to deal with, uh, of course, uh, anger uh, uh, in in other ways as well as as it turns uh, in retaliation or it deals with our enemies and and things like that. And so those are definitely issues that are difficult for us to to adopt, difficult for us to take the right uh, perspective on and, and definitely difficult for us to apply to our own lives. But nevertheless... If we're going to live in this kingdom that God has placed us in uh, through salvation, if we're going to live in this kingdom, then sometimes we've got to trudge through the uncomfortable places and, uh, and ask God to help us be stronger and to help us improve in those areas where we are weak. Well, today we're talking about the Christian and his integrity. And you should be at Matthew chapter 5 by now, verse 27. He says, You have heard that it was said by them of old time, Thou shalt not commit adultery. But I say unto you that whosoever looketh on a woman to lust after her hath committed adultery with her already in his heart. He says in 29, And if thy right eye offend thee, pluck it out and cast it from thee. For it is profitable for thee that one of thy members should perish and not that thy whole body should be cast into hell. And if thy right hand offend thee, cut it off and cast it from thee. For it is profitable for thee that one of thy members should perish and not that thy whole body should be cast into hell. Let's bow to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, we're thankful for the day that you have given. We're thankful for your love and your mercy. I pray that you would just, God, direct me as I preach these words this morning. Um, Lord, just give me the things that need to be said. Father, you know each heart and each life that's here today. Uh, God, you know the needs that we find here in this building. And Lord, although we would love to come in and uh, and just have a comfortable worship service, we understand that many times uh, the truth hurts and the truth challenges us. And so today I'm sure that it will be no different uh, just as it was not last week or, uh, or maybe even the weeks to come. But Lord, I pray that you would help us, even though it may be uncomfortable, help us to listen to what your word says, help us to see what needs to be done in our lives. And God, I pray that you draw us closer to you. Help us to be more conformed to the image of your son Christ who was perfect in all his ways. Lord, help us to be holy as you are holy. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to start off just talking about Israel uh, for a little bit. Israel in in Jesus' day was filled with conservative Jewish families who dressed modestly and who followed strict rules concerning marriage. As a matter of fact, they did not just have an engagement and you didn't just get to look around and see who you wanted to marry. That, That was all arranged for you. And, uh, and so you just hope that Daddy uh, found pretty what you found pretty, right? Because uh, if not, you were stuck with her for the rest of your life. And so uh, that the marriages were arranged, and uh, they were all put together. Uh, they had a betrothal process, and this would often take place perhaps even years before uh, the marriage would, would happen, uh, maybe sometimes not that long, but uh, a betrothal would take place, and of course you were committed to marry that person once the betrothal had been set. And so there was no choice into who you were going to marry or, or who you liked or disliked or any of those things. Uh, there were strict, very, very strict rules concerning marriage, and you didn't dare step across uh, those, those rules. Now, Israel had, uh, had a past, as far as the nation is concerned, had a past, where they weren't so strict in these things. And adultery and fornication and all those things ran rampantly throughout the country. But in Jesus' days, uh, they had really cracked down on these things. They were very conservative, very modest in the things that they did. However, these very modest and very strict Jewish people were living in a nation that had been infiltrated by Greek and Roman culture. And wherever perhaps that Israel had improved themselves and the areas of being promiscuous and things like that, the Greeks and the Romans super-exceeded where they had been in their past. Their style and their dress was often lavish and lewd. Their pagan worship was often accompanied with all sorts of lasciviousness. And I'm using these bigger words because I know we have smaller children here, but I'm just telling you that the culture then, even though they were in Israel, even though Israel itself as a nation was more conservative. They were living in a nation that was very, very liberal when it came to the subject of sexual integrity. If a man was to be faithful in the kingdom that Jesus was establishing, he was going to need integrity in his life. Integrity has been defined as uh, doing what's right even when no one else is looking when there's no one to brag to when there's no one to brag about you you're doing what is right and so if a man even uh, in the jewish faith in the jewish religion if a man was to be faithful to god and faithful in the kingdom integrity was a must i want to let you know this morning that america is no different if if not uh, as bad we are worse i believe than uh, the, things, the things that were going on uh, in Roman and, and Greek culture, uh, cultural times. As a matter of fact, we are a product of the Western culture of that day. And if you haven't noticed, when people get a hold of things, things don't get better, they get what? They get worse. And so we have digressed uh, from the, even the place where they were in Jesus' day. Listen, if a man is to walk with God today in a land with very few morals, it's going to take integrity, and Jesus knew this. We're going to look today at some things, uh, three things about these verses that Jesus preached here, and I, I, we're going to enter into this understanding that just as with anger and just as with letting people slap us on both cheeks without punching them back, that we have not yet arrived where we need to be, but that God has the power to take us and to change us into what he wants us to be. I want us to look at these things with that understanding, but we're going to go on to verses 27 through 28, and we're going to look at what he says here. He says, you have heard it said. That's what he begins with in verses 27 and 28. He says in verse 27, you have heard that it was said by them of old time, thou shalt not commit adultery. He says in verse 28, But I say unto you that whosoever looketh on a woman to lust after her hath committed adultery with her already in his heart. Now the commandment to which Jesus referred was a well-known one by all. In fact, it was one of the Ten Commandments. uh, One of the ones that they would have memorized, that they would have known, and one of the ones that we recognize as being uh, one of the Ten Commandments. The need for clarification that Jesus was giving here was not on the commandment itself. I mean, the Ten Commandments are pretty straightforward. I mean, they're pretty clean cut. His clarification was not on the commandment, but rather, again, on the interpretation of that commandment. You see, perhaps there were some during that day who taught that it was okay to look as long as you didn't touch. Maybe it was okay to fantasize as long as the act of adultery was not committed. As we look at this command, "Thou shall not commit adultery. Adultery can simply and safely be defined as enjoying the privileges of marriage outside of the marriage covenant. There are many who do not see anything wrong with looking or thinking or wishing or scoping as long as they do not cross the line, they have done nothing wrong. And this brings us right back to that letter of the law and the spirit of the law. Just as with murder, the, the command was, thou shalt not kill. And so people took that and they ran with it. Well, as long as I don't kill someone, I can hate them and backbite and talk and do all these other things that we've already discussed in the previous messages. But the spirit of the law was this, not just that you don't kill your brother, but that you don't hate your brother. That, that there's no hatred being Push towards you to uh, and and towards there or from from you towards them and so it was the heart of the matter. Not have I killed someone, but do I have a heart that wishes someone was dead? And that is the difference between the law, the letter of the law, and the spirit of the law. Well, the same applies here, and it's going to apply through the rest. That the letter says, "Do not commit adultery," and so there are people that draw that line. And they say, okay, well, as long as I don't step across that line and commit adultery, commit the act of adultery, then it's okay to think and look and, uh, and dream about those different things. But Jesus says, no, you, you've got that wrong. Jesus taught that the act of adultery itself was not the only sin condemned by this commandment. He says in verse 28, he says, I say unto you, I, the king, the ruler of this new kingdom, says to you, that whoever looks on a woman to lust after her has committed adultery with her already in his heart. And so just as hatred is murder, we find that lust is adultery. Jesus says here that the adulterous thoughts are just as wrong as the adulterous acts. Now these words are very bold. These words incriminate a lot of people, don't they? I am going to suppose that today's message is going to be as silent in the congregation as it was last week when we talked about anger. This is not a comfortable subject, I understand that. And so people are going to begin wondering, okay, yes, I know that I have had an issue with this in my life. I I see where uh, I have crossed that boundary in my own heart. And so the question is going to be asked, well, what do we do then? Should we walk around with our eyes closed or walk around staring at our feet? Well, I think the answer to that is no, okay? That's not the answer to the problem because I believe that there is a difference between seeing and creeping. Can I get an amen there? A difference between looking and lusting, between noticing and desiring, even though, listen to what I say, even though there can often be a thin line. This is another area where people want a rule system. They want to know where's the boundaries, okay? And I've even heard people give some of those. Uh, the question is asked, how long can I look before it becomes lust? You know? Is it 30 seconds? Three seconds? You know, what is lingering eyes? How do we define that? And, and those are all definitions that I've heard of, of uh, you know, making sure that you're not lusting. How many glances do I get before it's a sin? And so we want those clear-cut lines. We want to know, where, where is that line so I can bump up right against it and make sure that I don't cross it? But again, I want you to understand that this is not an issue of the rules. It's an issue of the heart. The question is, is your heart yielded to God or is it yielded to sin? If your heart is yielded to sin, you can look for two seconds and it can be lust. If your heart is yielded to God, then you can appreciate God's creation without it being a sinful look. I want you to understand, as we talk about this, that this is a case-by-case, moment-by-moment answer. As we walk around through this world, there are going to be many temptations that are thrown at us. And so we can walk with God, and we can have a a heart that is yielded to Him, a heart that is turned towards Him, but it only takes one moment of weakness, one moment of yielding to the wrong thing, and, and our heart is in the wrong direction, and, of course, we have become guilty of the sin. And so we have to take consideration that it's not a one-time commitment that we make to God. God, I'm no longer going to, uh, to look and lash, but it's something that it is a day-by-day, moment-by-moment, uh, situation-by-situation choice that has to be made. Am I going to yield to God and what He says is right, or am I going to yield to the flesh? Now, the second thing I want to talk about is every man's battle. Several years ago, two Christian men wrote a book called Every Man's Battle. And this book was all about sexual integrity and the struggle that every man has with their eyes. Now, in case I didn't emphasize that enough, let me say that again. The problem that every man has with his eyes. It's a problem that every man has, and I have suggested that every married man read this book. Now, thankfully, they have, uh, since writing that book, they have come out with uh, uh, every, Man's, every Single Man's Eyes, I think that's what it's called, so they have a book now for singles, which is more appropriate for you to read if you're a single person, uh, but I suggest that every married man read Every Man's Battle. They also have another book for women called Every Woman's Battle. You can find, that, find both of those at Lifeway. Uh, Christian bookstores, but I want you to uh, just consider that, maybe write that down, check that book out, and, uh, and read it. Every man needs to read that book. The book points out that in terms of relationship, that men seem, tend to be drawn by the visual. In other words, they are triggered by the eyes, that those visual images have a great effect on a man's mind, on his heart, and on his desires. Um, now, without, I'm not going to get into much, but I'm just saying, as this book goes into some of the difference between, between men and women, and the fact that even though, as you take it by, I said you have to take the other thing case by case, if you pull 100 men, there might be one or two that maybe don't struggle with this issue as much as, as others do. But there is, a, there is a large percentage of men. As we generalize men, most men have issues with their eyes. The point that this books makes is that, again, every man struggles in the area of his look, in, in the area of his eyes. Now, let me say that. I, I said every man does this. Let me talk about every wife for a second here. Every wife wants to believe that her husband is the exception to this rule. I'm enough for him. And you should be, by the way. Every woman wants to believe that her husband is the exception to this rule, and most men want others to agree with his wife. As we look around, I mean, it's a smaller crowd today, and that means there's fewer men, and so there's less. That we can narrow it down, and people are saying, no, he's not talking. I'm one of the one or two that he said you know, did not have this problem. The rest of them must be the ones that are dealing with this issue. And so every man or most men wants others to agree with his wife But the point I'm getting at is this is generally a struggle with all men. I want you to think about just for a second that this is not a new issue. Advertising knows this. That's why you can't hardly watch commercials without seeing something that is going to appeal to the lust of a man, to to a visual lust. People know this. Satan knows this. And so he throws those images out. He throws those situations out where a man is going to be more likely to be enticed by the visual images and his heart be turned away from God. I want you to notice as well that Jesus said, if a man lusts after a woman. He doesn't say if a woman lusts after a man. He says if a man lusts after a woman because he knows that men deal with this Um, this particular issue, more uh, than than women do. That's not to say that women do not. I want you to understand there are two kind of men in the world. There are those who struggle with their eyes, and there there are those who yield their eyes to God. There's not an in-between. We could say the same thing with the heart. There are people who yield their heart to God. There are people who yield their heart to sin. And the same is true with the eyes uh, of a man. There are going to be those that are struggling with temptation, struggling with looking, struggling with those uh, visual images. There are going to be people that that fight that every day, but there are those who yield their eyes to God, and He gives them the ability uh, to look the right way. Strangely enough, though, there is an alternate interpretation of this verse. As we read through this verse in verse uh, 28 here, uh, it, it can be interpreted like this, that the one who looks at a woman with the desire of adultery, uh, you know, and that's what we've dealt with so far. But it can, it can also be interpreted like this, one who looks at a woman for the purpose of getting her to lust after him. Let me say that uh, again. This verse can be interpreted as one who looks at a woman with lust, but it can also be interpreted as one who, who wants a woman to lust after him. And so this verse does not only point to the looker, but the one that is desiring to be looked at. Now, women, if you thought you were getting off scot-free today, this is where you come in. Now, understand, there are men who will dress, and there are men who will think about, how, how are the ladies going to be looking at me today? You know, is my hair going to be in place? Are my clothes right you know, is everything iron and straight? You know, do I look a certain way? And they're very interested in what women are going to think when they see them because they think that since they're so visually oriented, they think that the women really care what they look like, right? And so they're going to look, want to look nice as they go out. But there are women, and the women know that men are looking as well. And so the ladies sometimes are going to walk out the door wondering, is what I'm wearing today, is it going to cause their heads to turn? Is what I'm wearing today going to to get the men's attention? And so they dress because they know and they want others to look I want you to understand that if that is you, if you are dressing so that others will desire you and that others will look at you in that way, that you have committed the same sin that Jesus taught against here, where he says if a man looks at a woman with lust, he's committed adultery already. Well, guess what? If you're trying to get others to look at you with lust, you too have already committed adultery in your heart. The question is asked, Should I wear the red dress or the black dress? Should I wear this tie or that tie? Which one is going to get me the most attention from the opposite sex? Now listen, although it is true that some women do struggle with the eyes, in Jesus' teaching on adultery, there are two things that need to be said to the women. And so I want to address the ladies here for just a moment today. Ladies, be very cautious of what you wear. Ladies, be very cautious of what you wear. The New Testament will teach you that as well in Paul's writings too. Before you go out, before you take a step out the door, you ask yourself, will what I'm wearing cause someone to stumble? Do a look over in the mirror. And if you think you're looking really hot today, go back to your closet and throw some more clothes on. Okay? Now, I have heard the argument, well, if they weren't looking then they wouldn't have a problem with it. Well, guess what? Sometimes what you wear is going to make them look. So if, you're, if you Christian ladies want to keep your brother from stumbling, then watch what you wear. Be very careful in the clothes that you put on. You, you Older ladies, take these younger ladies under your wings, as Paul tells Timothy, and teach them the proper way to dress. Ladies, not only be careful what you wear, but I want you to, to also uh, be very careful of this. Be very cautious of the relationships that you build with men. Listen, if men, if we're going to talk about men being visually oriented, I want you to understand that women on the most part, are emotionally oriented. That means that men are seeking a certain thing as they go out and women are seeking a certain thing as well. They want an emotional connection. And, and wives whose husbands don't talk to them or wives whose husbands don't pay attention to them or even single ladies who don't have a male in their lives that is paying them attention, they're going to begin looking for someone who will talk to them, someone they can connect with and I want you to be very very careful ladies be very careful of the relationships that you build with men because there is something called an emotional affair that's where you may not wake up in the morning wondering how you're going to look to this person but you can't wait to get to work or you can't wait to get around this person because there's a connection that you've had with them in conversation and in those things that maybe you haven't found at home. Be very, very careful of those relationships. Single ladies, the same applies to you as well because I want you to understand it is a form of adultery. Now listen, I'm going to say one more thing to the ladies and then we're going to move on. It's very easy to point fingers at the men because there is so much in this world today that caters to the men. But I want you you women to understand from this emotional aspect that you're not you're not guilt free on your end either. You see, men may have magazines out there, but women have romance novels. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand if you read romance novels, ladies. But I want you to understand that if after reading your romance novel, if you begin to look over at your husband with glaring eyes and wondering why he's not like Chuck in the story you just read, (laughs) you have committed lust in your heart. Why don't you say those types of things to me? Why don't you spend that much time with me? Why don't you think about me that much? Why don't you bring me flowers? Why don't you do this and that and the other? Well, husbands, you should do that. Okay? But ladies, it's still lust. It's still a desire of the heart that can lead to other things. Be very, very careful. By the way, if you just enjoy the stories, if you don't care about the other stuff, just enjoy the stories of the novels, I want you to know that there are some very good Christian novel writers, okay, novel authors out there. And I am doing a, a, Lifeway needs to send me a check today because I'm doing a lot of commercials for them. Lifeway Bookstore has an entire section on fiction where you can go in. You can get the same love stories without the, the same issues that are found in those other books. Now, why does Jesus teach against sexual sins? Of the heart well the first reason is very easy he teaches against the sexual sins of the heart because they're wrong and they have no place in the life of his children but he also teaches against the sexual sins of the heart because both of these whether it's looking with the eyes or whether it's the desires of the emotions both of these will lead to adultery both of them will men I want you to understand listen to what I'm saying The power and the respect that you want from women is to be found in your wife. And women, the love and the attention that you need from the men is to be found in your husband. And singles, you be very, very careful how you go about both of these things, either the way that you're looking or the relationships that you're building those emotional connections. Now, you hope they lead to marriage. We're talking about making sure they don't lead to other things before marriage. That leads us to the last thing. I told you to get quiet in here. Desperate times call for desperate measures is what we find in verses 29 through 30. It says, And if thy right hand offend thee, pluck it out, cast it from thee, For it is profitable for you that one of your members should perish and not that the whole body should be cast into hell. He says if your right hand offends you, then cut it off, cast it from you. It's more profitable for you that one of your members should perish than that the whole body should be cast into hell. Now these are are difficult passages. Does Jesus mean this literally? Man, if you have a problem with your eyes, does he literally mean for you to pluck out your right eye and throw it away? If your hand is the one that's offending you, does he really mean for you to chop it off and throw it away? No, because the truth is is that a man with one eye and one arm can still lust, can't he? And so that still hasn't taken care of the problem. But what we're looking at here is figurative speech. Jesus was speaking figuratively. Uh, His speech was exaggerated, though, for a reason. Even though we might say, no, he doesn't literally expect us to poke our eye out or to cut our hand off. This was exaggerated speech for a reason, and I believe that is because he wants desperate measures to be taken when we're trying to rid ourselves of these types of desires and lust. You see, even if Jesus does not expect us to actually maim ourselves, I do believe that he wants us to be willing to depart from whatever is causing us to be unfaithful. How many of you ever watched the movie Fireproof? If you have not seen the movie Fireproof, married couples, you need to, to get that movie. But there was one place in the movie where the main character, Kirk Cameron, I can't remember what his name in the movie was, but Kirk Cameron was the, the main character. And his character was, uh, was, I think, checking an email or something like that on his computer, and a pop-up came onto his screen. And he had been struggling with this for quite some time, but he had given his heart to God. He had been saved. He was, he was trying to do the right thing. And, uh, and this pop-up came, and, and his mouse kept trying to figure out where it was going to go. Was it going to click, or was it going to get out of there as soon as possible? And I love this part of the movie where eventually he didn't just X the box or, chick, or, or click the X on the box. He literally took his computer outside, grabbed a bat, I believe it was, and beat the tar out of his computer and threw it in the trash can. Of course, his neighbor thought he was crazy, but but desperate times call for desperate measures. And maybe God doesn't want you to poke your eye out, but if you're having a problem on your computer or on your television or with your cable or, or if you're having a problem in certain places that you go in this world, then what you need to do is you need to take drastic measures to get away from that as soon as possible. Maybe God doesn't want you to cut your arm off. Maybe He does want you to take a sledgehammer to some things around your house or discontinue service to some things around your house. And ladies, understand that on your end as well, if there are people in your job, if there are those that you're around that you are developing emotional connections to who are not your husband, then you maybe stop visiting those places Or you maybe stop talking to those people. Desperate times call for desperate measures. And maybe you may not have the enjoyment of speaking to that person, but you also may not have the issues of going through a divorce because of it. We must be very, very careful when it comes to these types of integrity. Now listen, before we dismiss this morning, if the information that I gave you is correct... And there are some men here this morning that are struggling with their eyes. Studies show that men are weak when it comes to this area. But unfortunately, studies also show that men are prideful when it comes to seeking help. Or perhaps they want help, but they fear that they're the only ones that are struggling in this area. The books that I have read, studies show that most of the men who know that they have an issue, know that they need help with this, They're afraid that there's nobody who understands them, that there's nobody who uh, has been where they are, and, and so they never seek help because they're too embarrassed. But I want you to know three things this morning. Number one, you're not alone in this. It is every man's battle. Number two, there can be freedom. And I want you to know, most of all, number three, that seeking help does not make you weak. But accepting defeat does. same goes for you ladies today as well the struggles that we have in these areas understand that none of these things are things that we can tackle ourselves or they are not things that we can defeat ourselves they have to be done through the power of God and the moment you try to do it in your own power you will fall you will fail every single time so seek help whether you go to another person or whether you just go to God with this, seek help today. Talk to someone. Discuss this. Ladies, think about the relationships that you have built in your life and ask yourself, ask God, God, have I allowed any of these to go too far? Am I trying to seek from someone else what I should be receiving from my wife or from my husband? That should be your question today. And if you find that those things are there, seek repentance and forgiveness. That's one of the wonderful things about God. We find it over and over again that if we are faithful and just, or if we are faithful to confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And that could be you today as well. I'm going to ask us to stand. Maybe you don't want to come up front. Maybe you just want to bow your head right where you are this morning and seek God's help and ask God to search your heart concerning the relationships and concerning the desires of your heart. As the music plays today, I'm going to ask that you would take this time to respond to what you've heard this morning. Respond to the message. Maybe there's someone that is in need of salvation, someone in need of making a decision for the Lord, perhaps not even tied to what we've talked about today, but some decision needs to be made. This opportunity to respond is for you. This invitation an opportunity for you to make those decisions known. Maybe you just need prayer this morning. Whatever your need is, God knows, and and I believe He'll let you know. Will you be obedient to that today?